welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name's Oscar. My name's David. And this week, we have still not yet been ejected from this podcast for using our helmets or our heads. Josh Garnett is in the best shape of his life, which is a little early uh, for the best it's shape of his life. It's a new early mark on the calendar. It's a new mark for the best shape of his life, but here it is. It's the offseason. Josh <laughs> Garnett, best shape of his life. And Kyle Shanahan is apparently a direct feedback maven. And this is the question I've got for you, David. Apparently, Jed York interview with John with John Lynch Jeez, interview with Kyle Shanahan and he's like, Hey Kyle, what do you think of the team, buddy? And Kyle Shanahan says something that Jed York does not disclose. He just says it was not uh, it was not it was not a favorable uh comment for the 49ers. What do you think Kyle Shanahan said? It's a fucking dumpster fire. because uh, <laughs> that's exactly what it was like at the time. I mean it was just a complete nightmare. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, it makes me it, as if I couldn't like possibly love Kyle Shanahan anymore. Like every time something about like like that comes out about him, uh, it's just it's excellent. I love it. Yeah. Jed York said that Shanahan was, quote, uh, he, quote, wasn't very complimentary, which is a fancy way of saying he probably told him, look, your franchise fucking sucks. <laughs> this you're awful. You're awful. <laughs> you specifically are awful. You specifically are indeed awful. And that's the intro to the quick rundown, we're going to talk about the, this is going to be our second draft coverage episode, where we're going to talk about non-premium positions at the number nine overall draft spot. So we're going to talk about three players this week. We're going to talk about Quentin Nelson, we're going to talk about Roquan Smith, and we're going to talk about Tremaine Edmonds. But before we do that, we're going to get to the quick rundown and the question we've been getting all over Twitter, because this happens every single time a player is rumored to be traded, or every time a player is cut, David do you want to go and get Odell Beckham Jr.? No. I mean, not for what they're they're wanting, reportedly, right? Yeah, because um, there's there's two parts of the question, right? Yeah. Would you like a player like Odell Beckham on your team? I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yes. Duh. That's a stupid question. But everything has a price tag associated. Do I want a McDonald's cheeseburger? Absolutely. Do I want it for $5,000? No freaking way. Same kind of thing with Odell Beckham Jr., he would be a fantastic addition to the team. Yes, I would love him. But I think the, and I've seen everything from two first round picks to a first and a fourth to. So I think what it was is like this was all mostly Schefter reporting a yeah. lot of this stuff, right? And it was that they're asking for two firsts, but Schefter thinks that if something ultimately gets done, it will be for a first and then like a third or a fourth, right? And I think it was, I think it was Kevin Clark on Twitter who was like, who isn't available for two first round picks? Right. Like like Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe like maybe like the top five, top ten quarterbacks, especially if they're young and not and and, and in the rough prime of their career. But other than that, who couldn't you have for two first and round picks? And then on the other side of that, who is worth two first round picks that's not a quarterback? Yeah. Like that list is maybe non existent. And if it does exist, it's very, very short. Yeah, exactly. So I think the official position of the Better Rivals podcast, yeah, Odell would be awesome, but not at the price at which yeah. you're going to have to pay to peel him away from the Giants. Exactly. So then we get to Ruben Foster. He is still in legal limbo. Apparently, we have now got a fixed date of April 12th, which is the placeholder arraignment date. That's something that the Santa Clara DA has set, and that's where they will make a decision on whether or not they're going to charge Ruben Foster. And the leadership of the 49ers, the brain trust of Shanahan and Lynch, and sometimes Jed York, has said that they are going to meet when the the DA makes their decision on April 12th. And, and Jed York was quoted in The Athletic. He, he made some comments about Reuben Foster, and he said, quote, we'd love Reuben to be on this team. 
we'd love him to participate for us. But if he's not doing things off the field that allow us to be able to rely on him, he's doing something off the field that we are not comfortable with, and it's proven that's going on, then you're not just then you're just going to have to move on. That's a very convoluted way of saying three strikes and you're out. He's getting close, man. Uh, and I think this isn't really news, right? This is they're kind of in action to this point. If they were going to cut him based on what was going on, like that would have happened already, right? Uh, and I think it's just a, another example of talent level and draft position dictate your opportunities in this league. And and that's uh, consistently proven out to be the case. And and again, he's a very talented player. They used a first round pick on him. They're going to give him every opportunity to not screw this up. Um, but yeah, he's got, you got to think he's getting pretty close, right? Yeah. So we'll talk about what that might mean later on in the podcast. When we start talking about some of the players that we're going to break down this week, because that's what we're going to do for the rest of the episode is talk about non-premium positions at, at the ninth overall spot. Now, we've talked a little bit about what we think premium positions are and what we think non-premium positions are. Basically, it all has to revolve around what that position can do for you in the passing game. And so we don't think that guard or linebacker is going to be in that premium position spot. And there are a couple of other players as well that are in that non-premium position area that we're not going to spend a lot of time on for a couple of reasons, in part because we don't think that they'll be there or because we just don't see a scenario when they'll, in which they will get drafted. And that's number one, Saquon Barkley, and number two, Vita Vea. I think with Barkley, that one's pretty easy, right? Um, on a number of levels. One, I mean, there's almost zero chance. Yes, crazy things happen in the NFL draft all the time. Unexpected things happen all the time. Uh, it, it's almost certainly going to be a very quarterback-heavy draft at the top where you could see, I think right now it would be very surprising if you don't see the top three picks. And I think there's a scenario where maybe if somebody wants to move up to that uh, second Cleveland pick there at four where you could get four or at least four in the top ten, right? Um, so that helps things, but obviously everybody loves this guy. There's a lot of teams, uh, at the top that, uh, are prone to making dumb decisions and he's going to go like, he's just not going to be there by nine. But despite everything that we've covered over the last couple of weeks about the value of the running back in the passing game and, and everything that, that goes that way, we've already signed Jarek McKinnon, who's running back one a at this point. And even in the draft, if you were, if you were going to go after a running back, why go after someone like Saquon Barkley when you can have and, and hope that he turns into like Alvin Kamara when you can just have Alvin Kamara in the third, especially when you're talking about the difference in draft capital you have to extend? I don't know that, you know, Barkley, even if he is this supposed generational talent that comes out every year, apparently at the running back position, <laughs> how much better than Kamara that would necessarily be for the difference in draft capital. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's just factored. I mean, it's it's positional value, right? I think uh, I, have, I have very few blanket rules. Uh, I generally, I think, you know, you, you need to take every situation, every decision in the context of that specific situation, right? Um, one of them was, is not taking running backs in the first round. They, just positional value-wise, they're not worth it. They don't add that much value to your team, and they're not going to help you win games to the degree that they would need to to, to justify that draft position. Um, two, it's very it's the easiest position to find players. There are a ton of good running backs. This draft class is loaded at running back. Um, it is a very easy position to go find quality players at. Um, and so, yeah, and then you just factor in kind of that inherent uncertainty with the draft and that as much as everybody wants to believe he's a generational player, like no one really knows that for sure. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, even if he were available at number nine and it's nothing against him as a player, he's great. He's super fun. He's, I hope he is excellent when he gets to the league, right? Like, 
running backs can be fun to watch. Like, it's not like that we hate uh, all running backs. Todd Gurley was great. Alvin Kamara was maybe my favorite player in the league to watch last year. Like, there are a lot of good things that can be there. It doesn't mean that they're worth that draft position. So with Vita Vea, this is a player that also very, very good football player. But do you think that John Lynch is going to is going to take that Matt Millen strategy of just loading up on on defensive linemen like Matt Millen loaded up on wide receivers? Oh, man, 49ers fans might burn Levi's to the ground if that happened. Like uh, just absolute rights. Yeah, it's um, still wouldn't be hotter than a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, it, it would be surprising, right, uh, to see them go that direction for another interior player. Um, you know, Vea is a guy that I think has uh, some pass rushing ability, all that sort of stuff. I mean, it, it, you know, people are talking about him in kind of that early teen range. So I don't think it would be, um, you know, necessarily a huge reach for where he would be selected. It's just the fact that, like, hey, this is the one area that you're, like, pretty good at right now defensively. Um, go do something else. And that to me is where the, this concept of pure best player available is not really a concept that I think most teams subscribe to in the NFL. That I think that's a bit naive to just think you're going to draft the best player available regardless of the construction of your current roster and where your strengths are. I think that you put that in the context of what you need as a team and the positional value of what you need to go out and get. You put those three things together and that ends up giving you a more accurate draft board than just saying, well, you know what? We already got Tom Brady, but got to get a quarterback in the first round. Best player available. That's ridiculous. Right? And I think a lot of times, actually, that gets confused. You know, don't mistake needs right now with maybe a need a year from now, right? Sometimes you'll see a lot of teams, a lot of smart teams do this, where they draft for a need kind of a year ahead of time, right? They know that they have a player at this spot now, but his contract's up after this year. So rather than having to be in a situation where you have to re-sign that guy, especially uh, if you think he's going to be kind of a top-of-the-market player, draft his replacement now. And like, yeah, maybe you're not getting huge impact year one because you have a little bit of redundancy at that spot, but then you're in a good spot next year, right? And you're not kind of reaching for a position. That's an area where, okay, yeah, if this is a strong draft class, you know this is going to be a need a year from now, go ahead and do it. But there's always those other considerations that have to be at play. So let's get to the players that we're going to break down this week on the podcast. And of course, they're going to be non-premium positions. And the first one that we're going to get to is the one player that has everyone a flutter, especially when you're talking about interior offensive linemen. And that's going to be one Mr. Quentin Nelson. So whenever we're, whenever we're going to break down these, these prospects over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to talk about a couple of things and then maybe ask a couple of questions that are pertinent to the player. We're going to talk about their athletic profile. We're going to talk about their production. We're going to talk about where he wins. And then any limitations that they might have, and then round out with a couple of general questions about the player. These are the four. Uh, these are the four items that we are going to look at for every player. We talked about them at length last week and why these things are important. So, if you want to get a bit more information about why these are the four things we're going to discuss, definitely go back and listen to last week's episode because it sets up how we're going to talk about each player nicely this week and moving forward for the other. At this point, four more episodes that we're going to have in addition to this one. So, Quentin Nelson, his athletic profile. Well, he didn't run the 40-yard dash at either the Combine or his Pro Day, so we don't have spark numbers, but he's tested well above average in all the elements that he's done, including the three-cone and short shuttle. And considering there are some people that think he could play tackle in the NFL, it's safe to say that he's a pretty good athlete by and large. And the thing about athletic profile is you want to see if that shows up on tape because like, you can be like you know a monster and... Uh, you know, at a bench press or combine or whatever. And then you look right. at, you look at the tape and you're like, I just don't, I don't see that four, three speed on tape. 
Quentin Nelson's a dude where you're like, I don't understand how he's still standing. He moves Be- around pretty yeah, well. Yeah, because he should have yeah. fallen over. <laughs> I think that the exact – we were texting back and forth about it today, uh, and you were, you were, you mentioned one play that Quentin Nelson had, and, and you're like, yeah, uh, every – I said something like, Josh Garnett falls over on that play. And you said every guard on the roster falls over on that play. All of them, man. Yeah, the, the ability – and we'll get into it here in a minute, but the body control, like the, the balance athleticism that he has uh, is very apparent on tape. So, yeah, even though we don't have – necessarily composite numbers for him right now um it's it's not really an area to be concerned about you look at his production um it's hard to find better production at this spot coming out of the draft so i mean he's a three-year starter played over 90 percent of snaps in all three of those seasons um his overall pff grade improved each season that he was at notre dame um including these last two seasons ranking in the top five so he was fourth among guards in 2016 first last year um, he's one of only two guards. So PFF has been grading the college game, of course, since 2014. So this is going to be um, the fourth draft class that they'll be looking at. And he's the, the one of only two guards in that span to earn 90 plus overall grades in two separate years. So the, Will Hernandez, who's also a part of this draft class, um, is the other one that's mentioned there. But and also a, to- a toilet bowl hero. Yes. Let's not forget Will Hernandez. Also excellent. Yeah, love that dude. Um, so the production has been top notch and it's been in both phases, right? Of course, again, we're going to focus uh, heavily on the passing game. That's going to be probably the first thing that we talk about with every single one of these prospects. And dude allowed 27 total pressures across o- almost 1,300 pass block snaps <laughs> in his career. So this is over three seasons, 27 pressures. 1,280 pass block snaps, uh, only five last year. And and it's not like, I mean, yeah, Notre Dame, Notre Dame had a, like they ran the ball pretty heavily, but they threw the ball a lot too, right? And they did have some drop back stuff in there. Um, so there were one-on-one block situations that he was having to to be in regularly. Like this, 20, this was a, a pretty meaningful number. For 27 him. pressures is not an uncommon amount of pressures for a 49ers guard to give up in a season. Oh yeah. And, and that's on like <laughs> 500 pass snaps. You're done. I mean, right. it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's insane. So, I mean, yeah, it's hard to get much better. Uh, ask a whole, whole lot more from him um, in that regard. And then the run blocking, of course, is there, too. A lot of people uh, like this aspect of his game even more. Um, had a top five run block grade both the last two seasons. Um, was first in 2017. Had the highest run block success rate, which basically means dude doesn't lose run blocks is kind of what that boils down to. So high, high end production um, at that position and uh yeah it's it's uh he's like the one guy recently since we've been doing this that i can think of that everybody just kind of universally loves and haven't really poked yeah. holes in his game yep yeah so where does he win where does quit nelson win well first off he wins in pass protection he is efficient and consistent with his technique and he's got excellent play strength and the ability to anchor when you look at defensive linemen that try to bull rush Quentin Nelson, it just does not work. He didn't give up a single pressure via bull rush last season. And this is incredibly important to guard when you're primarily responsible for the depth of the pocket and pass protection. You don't want the interior of the pocket to get soft and force your quarterback to get more exposed to anyone bending around the edge. So, you know, th- that ability and what's, I mean, we're going to get to this a little bit later, but the thing that, that I feel like is incredibly impressive is even when he is moving, it still doesn't affect the way that he's able to like, nope, I'm going to go ahead and just post up right here. <laughs> like I'm, you're not going to, you're not going to move me. The play strength is crazy, man. And it, uh, a lot of it comes down to, again, the leverage and the fact that he's just like flat out strong too, right? That's part of it. I think one of the things that's really nice that I like about him in pass protection is that he uses his length. So 
another reason that people kind of mention, you know, Mike Renner at PFF has been kind of the one, I think, spearheading this movement of like, hey, try him at tackle, right? The only reason that he didn't play at tackle uh, in Notre Dame is because they had two first yeah. round tackles on McGlinchey the roster. Yeah. and uh, Tunsil, right? Uh, Stanley. Oh, Stanley. Ron, Ronnie Stanley, yeah. So they, they were both there. And so it was like, okay, we need to get this guy in the field, obviously. So we're going to put him at guard. Um, but he's got the size. I mean, he's 6'5", has good arm length, moves well. Like, he could do it, but he, he knows how to use that length, right? Um, a lot of times you see guys either, like, lean into the blocks, right? Especially on the interior, I think. Um, they lean into it, and that allows the def- uh, the defender to have a little bit more control, right? He can get a hold of your shoulders and really kind of toss you either direction, especially when your balance is off as a pass protector. That just doesn't happen to him, right? So he he's able to keep that base, keep the balance, um, use his long arms to really latch onto these guys. And then once he's onto you, like it, you just don't leave. Like he just yeah. maintains those blocks um, over and over and over again in pass protection. When I was watching, we did, of course, uh, Andrew Norwell when we were looking at free agency previews. And Andrew Norwell, of course, at the pro level, exhibited a lot of the same traits where it was like once a guy gets, once he gets onto a guy, the guy's toast. The guy's no longer a factor in the play. And Norwell similarly was someone who, just was looked to be more athletic than he should be for a dude his size. Yeah. And when you look at someone like Quentin Nelson, he exhibits those similar kind of body skills, uh, movement skills and body control. There was a play versus Stanford where you had a, a blitzer, number 31, a defensive back who blitzed through, looks like he's going to break through the line. And Nelson looks beat. He looks flat out beat. And I don't know how the hell he does it, but he's able to like turn around, kind of extend, get his hands on the guy and all of a sudden, neutralizes him, pushes him past the pocket, no big deal. And and that kind of athleticism and movement is something that you're not used to seeing from dudes that are his size. And it's also that the the mental processing there, right? So it's the ability to recognize where guys are coming from, know what you know blitzes are, are looking like. You know, if a guy leaves, if I'm expecting to block this guard or excuse me, this defensive tackle that's over top of me, and all of a sudden he takes this wide rush lane. Okay, well I know that somebody's got to be coming around my direction from somewhere else right he's able to locate those i mean you mentioned that play against stanford he very famously has that uh blitz pick oh, up against yeah. lsu that like every single offensive line twitter person has tweeted out at some point um and it has been retweeted a million times like well you uh, you text me one where he is in a power scheme and realizes the son of the defensive line and just picks up another block because he's like, oh, I don't have to worry about yeah. that. Let me go ahead and put this guy on his ass. Yeah, it's it's in both phases, right? So it's obviously important in pass protection where you see a lot of those stunts. But but defenses do stunts in the run game as well, right? And it's it's something that you have to be aware of, especially if you're trying to project him to what the 49ers going to be doing in those zone uh, run schemes. It's really important there because a lot of that is being able to to recognize that stuff, pass off defenders to the proper blocker. Um, and he's just excellent there. His eyes are always always in the right place. Um, he knows what to expect. Again, when guys leave his path, he knows someone's going to be coming there, consistently finds those guys. You just don't see, you know, like linebackers coming in and just flying by him, and all of a sudden he's turned around looking, has no idea what just happened, right? Like those snaps just don't exist with him right now. Yeah, so overall, when you think of him as a player, he's got, you, you rarely see him losing any snaps. He's got the body contr- the body control and movement skills to succeed in Kyle Shanahan's scheme and execute the kinds of blocks 
that the 49ers would ask him to do. He has fantastic mental processing. He's able to handle anything defenses throw at him and is even able to, uh, I guess, improvise, for lack of a better term, in a way that still works with the play and never leaves the rest of his teammates exposed. He is fantastic in pass protection, which you're going to need to have uh, as a skill in today's NFL. And all of it, of course, you wrap it up in a bow, you put it all together, and you've got a player that is considered to be the best guard prospect by many in a very, very long time. So you get to his limitations, and you think, okay, what are they? Honestly, literally the bullet point that we have written down here on the agenda, ladies and gentlemen, is not many. I don't know. I don't know what you... Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. know what you throw out there. Um, I, it's it's this very is not, hard. Yeah, this is not a place where I'm like, oh, yeah, well, like, let's go ahead and quibble about... No. Like, he... Um, 56 looks <laughs> 56 looks kind of weird sometimes when you're you know watching him on the line that's that's about it <laughs> um yeah man, he's as polished um as i think you've seen an offensive line prospect coming out in a while and yeah. and uh i certainly don't claim to be like an offensive line guru that's not really necessarily my specialty but i mean it's just no. hard to to watch him play he just doesn't lose man he just doesn't lo- like even on snaps where it's like, okay, it looks like something bad might have happened there. Like, he's still able to recover. It doesn't really negatively affect the play hardly ever. It's just you had to watch, so rare. You had to watch Cleveland's blocking all freaking season. Like, you yeah. literally had to just watch the Cleveland Browns do what they did and watch that just mess of an offensive line for a full season. You have watched more good and bad football uh, than a lot of people <laughs> have forgotten on the offensive line. So, you may not be an expert, but... I definitely trust your opinion when you're like, yeah, this guy just kind of like it's pretty good. It's 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 hard to nitpick. Yeah, I don't, it's like I, I don't even want to go down that route because it just it seems in poor taste. You know? So let's get to the question with Quentin Nelson, because this is, I think, the question that many people are that many people do have about him. And that is if he is such a great prospect and he and he projects to be such a good player at the next level, presuming he falls to the Niners because he may not be there. It's It's a very real possibility that he's not there at nine. Presuming he gets there, why wouldn't you go for a sure thing like Quentin Nelson at a position where we may not, it may not be a position of value, but it's certainly a position of need. He would be a massive upgrade over Lake and Tomlinson. And, you know, who knows what Josh Garnett's going to do, despite the fact that he's in the hashtag best shape of his life. (laughs) So this is a position of need. You have a quarterback offensive line. While it's not a position of value is still important. Why wouldn't you go for him if he's available? Well, I think, I mean, so the reality is, I think, similar to Barkley, right? We're a little bit less sure here. I think there's a a little bit greater of a chance that he falls and is available than Barkley is. Um, But I think you run into the same situation, right, where it's, it's very unlikely. Like, we almost didn't include him in this, but then we just kind of realized that, like, It'd be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, one, it's going to be fun to watch him. And two, it's just like we're not going to have anybody else to talk about, um, you know, kind of at this non-premium level. So um, I think if he is there, right, if if things break that way uh, and he's available at nine, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I mean, if I'm making the argument against it, it's that having a top-end guard, right? So even if you feel, again, there's always uncertainty with the draft, even somebody like Nelson, um, you know, is going to have, question marks right is is not really a sure thing that doesn't exist in the nfl draft but you obviously feel pretty confident the argument against it is a top end guard doesn't help your team win more games to the degree that a a a lesser player at a more valuable position would right so if the if it comes down to say 
Um, and we haven't watched, we're going to talk about the premium position guys next week, right? But say we end up loving Harold Landry, right? A, a edge, edge player, and they're both available there. And Nelson, I don't think by any stretch, like nobody's going to argue that Harold Landry right now is a better prospect, right? The pure evaluation part of this, this whole equation here. Nobody's going to argue that Harold Landry is a better player right now than Quentin Nelson is. But there is a good chance that Harold Landry could end up helping your team win more football games than Quentin Nelson could because of the value that he can bring on a play-by-play basis at an impact position. So that's the argument, right? I don't need elite-level guard play to be successful offensively uh, and to be able to win a lot of football games. I just need not horrible guard play. And I know that we've mentioned this before, but to me, the, the prime example of this is that players like Andrew Norwell are allowed to hit the open market. And players like Josh Sitton are allowed to hit the open market twice. And it's because player, I think teams think that they either A, don't need stellar guard play, or B, they they can get by with whatever guard play they have. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo's final five games in, in San Francisco last year also proved that. It improved Daniel Kilgore, it improved Lakin Tomlinson, and, and all we need is like a slightly better version of Kilgore, which we have in Richburg. I would say it's not slightly better, it's a lot better. And we need that to help Lake and Tomlinson. And all of a sudden, you've improved your unit without having to draft someone like Quentin Nelson. And you can spend that draft capital somewhere else. So let's get to the next player we're going to talk about here. And that's going to be one Mr. Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith, linebacker out of Georgia. His athletic profile, uh, well, again, incomplete testing, which is kind of crappy because I would love to see their spark oh my, scores. Yes. Uh, but it's really, really easy to see that Roquan Smith is a fantastic athlete. The way that he moves sideline to sideline is ridiculous. I mean, it's just you you think of the way that Reuben Foster moved sideline to sideline in San Francisco and at Alabama, and Roquan Smith was better than that. I feel like Roquan Smith moves and moved in college better than Reuben Foster did, and Foster is fantastic. Yeah, obviously uh, nobody's nobody's taking a dump on Reuben Foster's athleticism, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I mean... That's a new one. I've not know. heard you say no one's taking a dump on that. Every once in a while, you know, toss a, <laughs> toss a new one out there. Um, well, it's, he's, sorry, it's, we're going to digress here, but it's sure. the quick aside. The, I was playing a game with some friends this weekend, and we were replacing one word in a movie title with the word poop. <laughs> to, to just like, you know, so instead of the shape of water, it's the poop of water. Um, or, or no, it's the shape of poop, not the there shape of water. Yeah, yep, that's, that's a better, better. one. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, instead of major league, it's major poop. And so I feel like this is just within that theme. You know, no one's going to take a dump on it. It just, you know, it. I thought it was hilarious because that's the kind of humor you expect from us. Hey, it is what it is. Um, Roquan Smith, excellent athlete. No questioning that. Uh, an example of not really needing the test scores, right? Uh, you, you can see it on tape. Um, and it's, it's very, very clear production has been also incredibly high at Georgia. So two years started for him, but again, graded very, very highly, uh, in both those years, great as a top 10 linebacker, including a 90.6 overall grade last year, which ranked third. And this is, again, this is FBS. So this is, we're talking like out of 400 linebackers, um, that were graded last season third. Um, and he was just incredibly consistent, right? They're, There weren't any bad games in there. He didn't have like an awful uh, game uh, where he graded incredibly poorly. Um, He wasn't on the other end of things. Like sometimes you'll see grades that can be popped up a little bit by like one or two just exceptional games, right? They were so good in this uh, shorter sample that that kind of holds up some of these average games, right? Like it wasn't the case. He was just 
consistently good every single week. Um, and again, you go back to the passing game production there. Eighth highest coverage grade among linebackers last year. Graded incredibly well in 2016 as well. Um, is that's one of the best assets uh, that, that he brings to the table. We're going to talk about that more in the next section, but uh, top end production there even showed the ability to produce as a pass rusher a little bit, had 22 total pressures, uh, including eight sacks there on just 54 blitz attempts. Um, and then again, run defender, it's there. He graded as a top 20 run defender uh, among linebackers, both seasons as a full-time starter, like uh, much like Nelson, you know, Nelson did it for three seasons. Roquan did it for two, but Top end production when he was on the field against very good competition. And the, re- the part of the only reason that he did, that he didn't do it for three is because he only played like fifty four snaps or whatever, like his first year, somewhere between fifty and seventy snaps. So it wasn't a yeah. ton. Yeah. Uh, and even then, he still had some really really good plays. So he's got the athletic profile that you want. He has ha- he has exhibited the production that you want. So where does he win on tape? Well, he wins in all of the places that you want a modern linebacker to be able to win. First and foremost, he's a fantastic coverage linebacker. He's got familiarity with some more advanced coverages. Georgia, because of Kirby Smart, runs the same pattern match heavy scheme that Alabama does. And that puts a lot of stress on what your defenders have to do. They've got to be able to read what the wide receivers' patterns are going to be. They've got to know the assignments and the rules within the defense. So you know that he already comes ready to understand modern NFL offenses. And I feel like at this point, I'm ready to like almost commingle modern and pattern match at this point. Uh, I feel like that, that to me feels about right. Yeah, I mean, coverages have to be going that way, right? It's just, it's very difficult to go back. So the other type of zone coverage, right? If you're going to use, obviously, pattern match is kind of a blend of of man and zone, um, depending on what the offense does there. But your traditional zone where you're just dropping dropping to a a spot, spot. right? It's just like, I got a landmark as a linebacker. I need to get to that spot. And I'm going to try to kind of locate routes coming into it. It just doesn't work. Like, uh, offenses are too good. They're too good at manipulating where those uh, players are going to be and and putting them in conflict and doing all these things. So it really helps from a processing standpoint as a defender, you have to understand what they're trying to do from a route concept standpoint, because what they do determines what you're ultimately going to do, right? You can't just go back to this landmark and then kind of see what happens. So it's a bit too predictable. Yeah. It changes um, the way that you kind of see offensive football. I think when you're in a defense that has to do those type of things uh, on the coverage end. And much like Quentin Nelson had the one play that everyone in Twitter was a flutter about Roquan Smith has a very similar play in coverage against Auburn, where he carries a defender through the slot in the red zone all the way through is able to flip his hips and turn around and make a play near the other sideline and tip the ball away. I mean, you don't do those types of things as a linebacker in the open field unless you're a fantastic athlete, have really good technique, because he 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 executed a speed turn on that where he was able to get his hips around and then able to locate the ball and tip it away in the end zone. I mean, this is the value in the passing game is what you need to be able to help out with because as a linebacker, you know, the, the days of Takeo Spikes, as much as I love him and his no neck having face, <laughs> those days are gone. Like Takeo Spikes would be a liability uh, with against Alvin Kamara right now. Right. And, and this is why Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman, I think, were so great is because you didn't have to worry about taking him off the field when you went to nickel or when you went to third downs. You think of the pick of the, the pick at the stick. You think of all the interceptions and runbacks that Patrick Willis had. It's their effect on the passing game that made them equal that made them so freaking great. And Roquan Smith has that ability in the passing game. And I think it's especially, I mean, the Auburn play is obviously a great example. It's the ability to um, play those kind of like really intermediate to deep routes that I think really separates linebackers, right? So it's one thing to be 
uh, able to be like an underneath zone defender and, and come up and make plays on on uh, stuff that's happening in front of you, right? That, that's kind of an expected thing. I think to be a good linebacker, you have to be able to do that. Roquan does it, right? So I think that's a box that he can check. But what what you get from the players uh, that are really good at the next level, right? The the Luke Keekleys, the Deion Jones, like those type of linebackers that are really, really excellent in coverage. Um, they separate themselves because they can make plays down the field, right? They can get, they can carry those crossing routes. I mean, that not only from like an athleticism standpoint, right? The ability to turn and run with the receiver, um, the ability to the, the ball skills to like find the ball and knock it away, like in the end zone there. Um, but just to be able to get like from that coverage on that route, like that deep crossing route and cover three is just, it's so, so tough for linebackers to be able to, to make a play on that particular route from that coverage. Um, and so that, that just kind of speaks to the rareness of, of linebackers ability to make plays like that down the field. And so I think that's where you really start to differentiate yourself from just a guy that's like a, a pretty good coverage linebacker, right? Is those type of things. And of course, the number one thing that a linebacker has to do is they have to be able to tackle and they have to be able to tackle effectively. And that's what Rokon Smith is able to do. Once he gets to a ball carrier, he's able to secure the tackle. He missed just five tackles in 2017 giving him one of the best tackling efficiency numbers in the draft class. Part of that's because of his, of his athleticism. He's able to break down and match what running backs are able to do. The other part is that he's just, you know, a good athlete and a good tackler. And he's able to, even though he's a little smaller than the quote-unquote prototypical size, he's still able to use his body well and get power through the tackle and bring players down. So all in all, Roquan Smith is probably the player that, in this group that we're talking about impressed me the most when I watched this tape and I was like, this is actually really fun. Like I like Quentin Nelson a lot. Um, but what Roquan was able to do, I thought to me, um, was, was way more fun and, and had me had my blood boiling a bit more than with, you know, Quentin Nelson. Roquan's fun, man. Uh, and I think again, it's easy to see the impact there, um, that he can have. And, and it is more difficult again, linebacker as a whole, I think, is another one of those where you can generally find pretty good linebacker play, right? The guy that can come in on base and and be solid in the run game and, again, handle some of those easier underneath coverage assignments and stuff like that. That's that's not a terribly unique thing, and that's why the positional value as a whole, I think, is lower and why we're including it in this section uh, of the draft previews. But if you have that guy that's there at that top, top end of the pass coverage ability, that's when you can start thinking about him being a more unique player um, and, and having a larger impact on what you're doing defensively. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's, again, production's there, the athleticism's there, um, all of the traits that you want to see on taper there. You know, I think there are some, if you, if you start to look at uh, transition to limitations, right, he's another one I think that there's not a lot there. Size seems to be kind of the common thing that people want to point to, and I don't understand this at all. So Roquan at the Combine, measured 6'1", 236 pounds. Um, just to throw some other linebackers out there. Patrick Willis, Navarro Bowman, both 6'1", 242. Reuben Foster, 6'2", 229. Deion Jones, 6'1", 222. Wagner, Levante David, Luke Keekley, like all of the guys that are the best linebackers in football right now, they're all somewhere between 6'2", and in that kind of 230 to 245 range every single one of them right now um the 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 again the days and you alluded this with the takio spike stuff like the 250 pound linebacker is a liability now like that's not a thing that you should be looking for um his size is not a concern i think at all to me i think this is where you start to really see the evolution of football 
in a very, very clear single point because you now need more athletic linebackers to cover the types of players like Alvin Kamara and the types of players like the Gronkowskis of the world where you don't need someone who's that big. You need someone with the movement skills to be able to affect the passing game in a way that isn't a liability, that you can't pick them off, that you can't pinpoint them and pick on them in the passing game. And that's, I think, what Roquan Smith offers you. I think that whatever he would have weighed in at and whatever he, you know his height would have been, you ask yourself again, does that size limitation show up on tape? And I don't think it does. You never look at him on tape and go, mm, if he was just a little bigger... Like yeah, he's, he's not like he doesn't look small. No, he's, he's not, not some like no, he's skinny not. dude. Like, yeah. And also like what? Maybe like 25 to 30 percent of NFL teams have an actual fullback. Like how many times is yeah. he actually going to be asked to take on a fullback in a hole that knows what they're doing? And even then, like today's linebackers, it's it's a lot less about your ability to be physical and take on those blocks and shed and all that kind of stuff. It's it's more about using the athleticism to shoot openings, right? To shoot gaps and make plays in the backfield. To if you think of like the outside zone plays, right? It's it's having the athleticism to beat the lineman to the spot so that he can't doesn't have an opportunity to block you to begin with, right? Those are the ways like if you're having to consistently take on blocks as a linebacker in today's NFL, I would argue that you're a bad linebacker. Like you 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 need to be finding other ways to get to the football uh rather than wasting time because Again, the the skill position players are are just as athletic, right? And if you give them time, if you're having to to shed blocks consistently, playing and play out, like they're gone. Like you're not going to have time to do that. So uh, it's just really, yeah, I think a, a massively overblown concern with him. So let's get to the question with Roquan Smith because there there definitely is a question with him, and and really we've talked about his effect on the passing game, and I think it's important. But does Roquan Smith's effect on the passing game elevate him into some kind of nether space between like non-premium but not quite premium? Where because he is a player that is built the way that he is, that is as fast as he is, that can cover the way that he does, does it make it more palatable than drafting a guard? You know, I think of someone like Deion Jones and what he's able to do for Atlanta and what he was able to do in playoff games for Atlanta, where he's able to match up against, you know, the Alvin Kamaras of the world and he's able to play Gronkowski well, you need that kind of player on your defense. So is his skill set and his, you know, kind of almost hybrid position, if you will, elevating him into a better pick than, say, someone like a Nelson or a more traditional linebacker? I think it does. Um, I think, and I feel like we're going to probably talk more about this next week when we start talking about Derwin James and Minka Fitzpatrick. But really, I think, looking at those traditional position designations is kind of a poor way to do it, right? You have to look at, okay, where do they fit in the defense? And I think from a coverage standpoint, you really have three primary roles. You have your outside corners, you have your deep free safety in, in some schemes, right? Which the 49ers have where they're not really going to be in any, uh, or at least a whole lot of individual matchup situations, right? They're not coming down and playing, guys in the slot and man coverage or anything like that. They're mostly that kind of safety that's patrolling, keeping everything in front of them, different sort of skill set. And then you have, I think, your interior coverage defenders, right? Which are the guys that have to play in the slot, that have to match up with slot receivers and tight ends and running backs. And that's a different sort of skill set as a cover person um, than you deal with on the outside, right? As an outside cornerback. So I think those are kind of the three main roles. And I think that... 
the NFL has kind of undervalued those interior cover people. Um, you don't see slot corners get paid the same way as outside corners do. And I think we're starting to get more evidence now that that's such a huge part of the passing game, right? Um, you look at what Shanahan does and what they were able to be effective with, you know, with Garoppolo in there. And it was attacking the middle of the field and the short and intermediate area, um, being able to hit guys like Trent Taylor, guys like George Kittle. Um, you know, now they're going to have a back out of the backfield. Like offenses really hit that middle of the field. So if you have guys that have the skills to be able to match up in the middle of the field there and take away some of those passing options, I think that is something that's incredibly valuable. And I think really it's it's his profile as a player that makes me that makes me agree and think that yeah he's probably not quite fit for a completely non premium designation but he's not yet quite premium yeah and and I also think you know I'm I'm also very attracted to the idea of one Ruben Foster not being a moron uh, <laughs> and and not getting into any more legal trouble and two the pairing of Roquan and uh, and Ruben Foster as your linebacking pair. And those are really all the linebackers you need. Like, yeah, you, 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 don't, don't you really don't need any. Yeah, you, you don't. You, you don't care about the other ones. I don't, like Sam, call what you will. I don't care. Those linebackers are not going to be on the field, but three out of ten snaps at worst. And I can go find one of those easily, right? Exactly. I can go find somebody that come and play rundowns. Exactly. So that that defense and that structure, bec- your defense becomes so much more athletic when you when you're thinking about Adrian Colbert, Chikwaski Tart. And oh, we didn't even talk about Jimmy Ward moving to potentially to corner at OTAs in a rundown. Which, yeah, we'll yeah we'll talk get, about that next week. Yeah, uh, um, but but now you've got Colbert, you've got Tart, you've got potentially Roquan, and you've got Ruben Foster, and that's that's basically the middle of your defense. Yeah, and then you've got Sherman and Witherspoon out on the edges. All of a sudden, that defense looks and feels very very different. And I think this is you know again next week we're going to talk about Derwin James, Minka Fitzpatrick. I think. That is, again, so grouped in that same sort of interior coverage defender area, but there is there is some overlap there. But I think when you have the ability to uh, also add like slot receivers to that list of things that you can do mm-hmm. in there, that's that's still another step up in value. So I think that's why Roquan's still here. You know, he wasn't, uh, it's not quite enough value to, I think, bump him to that other group, but it's certainly more valuable than your typical linebacker. So let's get to Tremaine Edmonds. He's the last in the non-premium position players that we're going to tackle. And his athletic profile is one of just mass. He is pure <laughs> mass. Dude is 6'5", 253. That's just huge for an off-ball linebacker. I'm surprised he didn't get moved to tight end. Dude, it's, it's, freaky, it's freaky to see somebody that big moving that quickly. So he's another one that uh, incomplete testing right now. So no spark, spark scores, but... It doesn't take a whole hell of a lot to see that this dude is incredibly athletic. Um, and again, you see it at that size and you're just like, I don't I'm not sure like how that's happening right now. So you look at his production. He's a two year starter. He played over 96 percent of snaps in each of the past two season. But he's only had one season of top production His 87.4 overall grade in 2017 was 25th amongst linebackers. He's definitely a much more up-and-down player than someone like Roquan Smith that's been more consistently good. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds had three games with overall grades under 50 and three games at 89 or higher. So much more boom-bust than someone like a Roquan. But he's been a solid coverage defender, which, of course, is a theme of the show. He grades right around 80 in both seasons as a starter in coverage. And he actually could offer a lot more as a pass rusher in the NFL. He had a 71.8 pass rush grade in 2017, 
That was 31st amongst linebackers out of 155 qualifiers. He rushed the passer on 11.8% of snaps over the past two seasons, which is pretty high for an off-ball linebacker. In comparison, Roquan was just shy of 6% over the course of his career. Uh, And Edmonds recorded 12 sacks on 47 total pressures. So his production is not quite at a consistent high level as the other two players that we've covered on this episode. But he's definitely flashed some good stuff, even if it's intermingled with some not-so-great games. And so you look at where he wins. Um, Much like Roquan, athleticism is a huge part of his game, right? Um, The the burst is great. He, again, shows the ability to kind of cover a lot of ground very quickly. Um, All the same reasons that we talked about with Roquan and why that athleticism... Uh, is is good and is something that you want to have in a linebacker. All of that, I think, applies to Edmonds as well. So you don't have to necessarily cover that again. I think from a coverage standpoint, um, he does look actually a lot better in man coverage situations. So when he can just kind of line up over a guy, so they used him as um, what kind of usually refer to as like an overhang defender, right? It's it, you, a lot more prevalent in college, I think, because you're dealing with the spread every single week. And so you have these linebackers safeties that kind of play in that area between where the slot receiver is at and where the edge of the offensive line is at. And he was that guy in in Virginia tech's defense quite a bit. And and so you could see sometimes where he had to match up with that slot guy in man coverage at times and just looked very good in those situations, was able to turn and run with some speedier wide receivers down the field, um, showed a, a few good snaps of being able to kind of mirror routes underneath. So, Overall, like it, it wasn't a ton, at least in the games that I watched, that he was able to do that, but generally looked very good when he did. Um, and I think the the interesting thing with him that you alluded to in the production is the pass rushing ability. Um, showed a really good feel as a blitzer, and I think a lot of people think that he could potentially offer more. Like there, there was uh, some snaps where he was used off the edge, and I wouldn't say that he has like very refined pass rushing moves right now. It's definitely something that would be a work in progress. But you see the traits that could kind of lead to him being an effective player actually coming off the edge and rushing the passer. Did we not learn from projecting Solomon Thomas to edge? Did we not? Did we not? So have, have, we not have we not pumped those brakes? Can we not just like put again, him in linebacker? I'm trying to put <laughs> trying to trying to put where he wins. I'm looking at the good stuff, right? Um, so I think I do have if, if we switch to kind of his limitations. Um that is something I have a concern with, right? Uh, well, this is the mistake that I made. So we were talking about Edmonds a little before the show. And to, when I watched him on tape, he he looked a bit more lumbering to me. He looked a bit slower, even though he may not actually be slower than Roquan or some of the other players that I've watched. And and it's not – and David was you know help, helping me figure out like what I was seeing. And it's not necessarily that he is slower or more lumbering despite his size – it's just that he doesn't process things nearly as quickly, and as a result, he reacts slower, and so he's slower to the ball, he's slower to what's happening, and and all, and all, that ends up making him a slower player overall, even though he may be probably more athletic because he's got to move 250 pounds at 6'5", and, and not 220 pounds at you know, just under 6'1". So it, it, that, that mental processing is a problem, and, and we've seen the success that someone who has really, really good mental processing um, what that success looks like. We've seen it at the linebacker position with Reuben Foster. Reuben Foster has fantastic mental processing. And at other positions like quarterback, you've got Jimmy Garoppolo, who's got fantastic mental processing as well, and it allows him to succeed at his position as well. And and at least from what we've seen on film thus far, Edmonds doesn't show that same elite processing. It's the difference in play speed, right, versus actual speed. And, and I think for some reason, uh, this can get twisted at times to be like, oh, 
he just runs faster with pads on because that's a thing that makes sense. Like, no, man, if a guy's a four or five guy, he's a four or five guy, right? But the difference in why you can sometimes see guys play faster than what those time speeds are is it's the mental aspect of it, right? A guy that can react quicker and be on his way there and is he's not wasting steps, right? All of his steps are in the right direction um, that he needs to be early in the down. That guy can get to the spot he needs to be to make a play quicker than somebody who's faster than him but has slow mental processing, right? That isn't able to recognize things. And I think in his defense, again, to be totally fair, dude's 19 years old. Like, he's going to be 20. I was so surprised by that. Um, it's it's very weird. Like, this, you don't see uh, that age come through the draft very often. This isn't the question. We're going to get to the question later. But does that concern you? Because I, like I feel like there's a bell curve with age. Like, you do want a little bit younger prospect to a certain degree, just so maybe you can get more years out of their career, especially when you think about maybe a running back, right? But sure. but is there a point where they're too young and they haven't really filled out their body and they haven't really fully developed and you know they're not really able to have as much experience or process that experience in a way because of their age? Does that age actually begin to become a detriment and concern you because he is so young? I mean, 19 years old. I think if you're expecting immediate impact i think it is i think it's a a legitimate concern to wonder you know things again so you have to kind of assume that he's not really done maturing physically yet right he's he's like six five two fifty right now and like, still room to grow he's not done right like at 19 that would be a little weird um and so you do wonder like okay he's a great athlete right now at that size but if he continues to grow and adds another 15 pounds you know that he's playing at uh, you know practically once he gets two three years down the road like can he maintain that athleticism i think that's a legit concern um a lot a lot of things with him is projection right now so because of that you know i, I think there's the argument that you can make for is that hey he's super young there's a lot of room to grow the processing stuff is going to get better as he gets uh more reps and more experience and better coaching at the nfl level and all these sorts of things right that's the the direction you go if you're going to sp- spin that into a positive the the negative side of that is we don't know right like there are a lot of guys that don't develop you know um there's there's a lot of stuff right now that you can see that like coaching in the nfl you don't have time to really develop players a lot of that comes on the player to to develop their skills in the offseason once it, the season gets there you're not worried about that stuff you're worried about game planning you're worried about scheme implementing your offense defense all that stuff and the development's not necessarily there and so I think it's fair to wonder, like, yeah, there is a ton of unrealized potential with Edmonds. But unlike somebody, I know what Roquan is. Like, he he is doing the things currently that I want to see. Edmonds, like, I see him sometimes. Like, every once in a while, it's there. And, like, don't get me wrong. His good snaps are freaking good, man. Like, they're they're really great snaps. But there are just a ton of bad plays that are mixed in there right now uh, that makes him a, a, a... It's difficult to accept that in the top 10, I feel like. Well, that's that's the question. The, the, the real question that we have here is, does his upside make him, kind of catapult him into enough of a enough of a quality prospect that you're willing to take him in the top 10? And, and I don't know that it does, personally, yeah. because you've got, if, and again, if Roquan and Edmonds are both there, why take the guy who could turn into Roquan when you can just have Roquan? 
Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of, you know, you see things when, uh, I feel like when you see a lot of articles that are, that are written about Edmonds and his fit with the Niners, it's like, oh, he could be this, right? He could be, he could play Sam, he could play Will, he could play Mike, he could play Leo, like, he can rush the passer off the edge, maybe. It's like, yeah, like, he might be able to, I see why you think that, right? I see why you think he might be able to rush the passer off the edge. He hasn't really done it. Right. And that's what it, you, you kind of just keep going down the list with him. And that's what you run into. It's like, yeah, I see why you think he could be really good at that. He hasn't shown the ability to be really good at that consistently yet. And so uh, I think that's difficult. He may turn into and I hope I hope he does end up being excellent because he could be a lot of fun to watch. Um, he does bring this kind of unique skill set. I think if you're if you're really trying to paint best picture um, he could be a guy like a, what was it, like a Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower with the Patriots, where they would use them like off ball early in the downs, and then they would come and rush off the edge, you know, in passing situations, and offered that sort of versatility. Collins would uh, was excellent in coverage as well, and could you know kind of man up with tight ends every once in a while. So yeah, if if you were to like turn into that type of player, that's awesome. That has a lot of value. That sort of versatility, but I mean, it's just a lot of what if right now for the number nine overall pick. All right. So given all of that, given all of what they, you know, their athletic profile, what they do well uh, and their production, let's say all three players are there. Which one do you take? You can only take one of these three players. You're not going to like think, oh, I'm going to go ahead and take this random player because that would break the spirit of the game, David. <laughs> Work within the confines of the game. Only all these three. three only, only these players are there. Everyone else is gone. Which player do you pick? Uh, I'm taking Roquan. Me too. Yeah, I, I think, um, again, I think the impact is a little bit greater with that type of player. I think he can really help the middle of the field coverage, um, which is super important in today's game. I love, like, don't get me wrong, I, I know that there will be people that twist this into, like, why do you hate Nelson? Why do you hate guards and all this this shit? Like, Nelson's awesome. Nelson's super fun to watch. I really enjoyed going through his tape. Um, I just don't know. The one scenario with him that would make me think, like, okay, this is where I would flip is if I knew the plan was to play him at guard. So you, you put him at left guard right now, and then in a year or two when you decide to move on from Joe Staley, you're bump, bumping him out to left tackle and at least giving him a shot there. Maybe maybe he ends up not being great and it's not a good fit and, and you bump him back inside to guard, whatever. The value of having a quality tackle is so much higher than that of a guard that I think, and, and he has enough skill there to be to warrant trying him out there. The problem is I don't think that that's a scenario that would actually ever really play out. I can't imagine them taking him and, and being willing to do that. So, yeah, I think uh, Smith is probably the guy that I would lean toward. I agree. And, and I think that to me, what I just I keep imagining the picture of the middle of that defense and you think of Foster and Smith and what they would be able to do in the passing game and the types of teams that the 49ers, if they are indeed going to make a wild card push this year, they're going to have to go potentially up against the team like the New Orleans Saints. And they're going to have to have an answer for someone like uh, you know, Todd Gurley, man, in the division. And, and Todd Gurley um, in the division. I mean, Mara, you have good yeah, lord. In the um, in the NFC, you have a lot of good receiving backs. I mean, McCaffrey, like they didn't use him no. super great, but he's still there. I mean, he's still um when he was given the opportunity, produced well in the passing game, and you know that that's a strength. Like there are a lot of guys there in yeah. the NFC, especially to like deal with. There's there's that. value there, yeah. and and I think that that value is is important enough, and I think that what he can do on the field. But he produces in the area that you want to be able to produce, and that's in stopping the passing game. And so I think for me, the, the clear pick is Roquan as well. Now, let's say Roquan is gone for whatever reason, and you're left with Quentin Nelson and Tremaine uh, Edmonds. Which one of those two do you pick? 
Oh, no, Brandon Nelson. Yeah, I, I think okay. Edmonds just has too many question marks for me. Like, I uh, 100% understand the appeal of wanting to take him. Uh, I just would be more comfortable with that selection if he was, like, being talked about as an uh, early second-round pick or something like that, right? Yeah. I think, again, top of the draft, you really want to see them check all those major boxes, right? You want to see the top athletes that have produced at a high level that show traits that you want to see that that translate to Sunday, um, when you start removing kind of big sections of any of those, like those are later draft picks to me. Yeah. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Thanks for listening to episode one of the players. Next week, we're going to get to the options at number nine, but at, at premium position. So we're going to talk about, uh, you know, pass protectors or not pass protectors, but the people who defend the pass. Um, and we're going to talk about also edge rushers as well. It's going to be probably a, a few more players that we're going to talk about, but yeah. they are definitely at premium positions. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That'll be at Newman NFL. Indeed. And you can also leave us a review on iTunes if you are liking what you're hearing. Uh, it helps other people find the show. And you could also just tell someone about the show. If you know, Do that. If you yeah. know a Niner fan and you're like, hey, you're a Niner fan, tell them about the show. It's just as good as a review if you're not of the review leaving ilk but thanks for tuning in this week and as always go niners hello i'm ashley carmen i'm caitlin tiffany we're the hosts of why'd you push that button the verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make we're back for season three talking about questions like why do you delete your tweets and why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer (laughs) and why are you on an exclusive dating app you're not that special (laughs) we're releasing a new episode every wednesday and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts which is apple podcasts google podcasts pocket Casts. so go ahead and subscribe and check us out